Think about how you fall in love. What role does your intellect play in the process? Think about it. The answer will probably be none. And imagine if you were to fall in love through your intellect, you know, through your rationality. Would you fall for a similar person that you fell for through your subconscious? Or would your loved ones through your intellect be completely different people? Hello everyone, thank you for clicking on the link once again to hear me talk about stuff. My name is Avinash Mishra and I welcome you to the newest edition of my podcast, which is still looking for a name, by the way. So, suggestions appreciated. Um, since we were, we were talking about love in the last episode, I thought, well, let's talk about it some more. Also, given the time of the year, it, seems, it only seems fitting to do so. Um, this episode is going to be about German philosopher Arthur Schopenhauer and his ideas about the nature of human life and how suffering is the reality of such an existence. I apologize for the delay in this episode, however, it was really tricky trying to approach someone as complicated as Arthur Schopenhauer. Though it's the academics who make Schopenhauer complicated when in reality they should teach Schopenhauer like they teach nursery rhymes at school. I had a list of things I wanted to talk about, but in the end decided that it would make this episode unnecessarily complicated and I believe Schopenhauer would appreciate the simplicity. Arthur Schopenhauer was a pessimist. You know, imagine this friend who goes, <laughs> you wish, uh, when you tell him that you think someone you like likes you back. This friend would be Schopenhauer. And I merely see, say this as, as a tiny example. The scope of Schopenhauer's pessimism is enormous. Uh, and in this episode, we'll, we'll see what that is. Now, to understand this better, we have to, uh, we have to look at the works of Immanuel Kant. Uh, Kant was this 18th century philosopher who was one of the most important thinkers we've ever had. One of his greatest ideas, the world of things in itself, uh, also a part of Kant's transcendental idealism. Uh, while, while transcendental idealism is a mega topic in itself, we'll talk about it in detail in some later episode. Uh, right now, let's, let's talk about what, what we need. Now, I, d I don't want to go all old philosophy professor on you, so let's just, let's just take a simple example. You're probably listening to this uh, episode in your room or your, your way to work in the park, etc. Right? Now, what I want you to do is just look around you. Just look around you and, 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 and try to see what, what objects you see, right? You can probably see a number of things, right? You know, if you're looking out the window, you could probably see a tree. If you're in a room, you could probably see the door, the table, and, um, you know, even, even uh, the, the irritating neighbor kid's football that he keeps kicking at your window, right? Now, you, you perceive these things around you, right? But wait a second. Have you ever thought about how it is that you make sense of these things out there? Well, you see something, right? You, you smell it, you hear it, you taste it, touch it, right? But does any of this give you a clear picture of what the thing really is? What you may see, it, it may seem just, just like a football, right? But think for a second. If you had a completely different pair of eyes, superpower eyes, you know, Sharingan of the Uchiha, would you still see the same image that you see now? Probably not. And this brings us to Kant's observation that whatever you see as things is merely your human experience of that particular thing, right? And, and, and by that logic, there must be a world somewhere that, that transcends human experience and contains the things that they, as they actually are. You know, like in the true state. You know, you see, you see this pillow uh, on your bed, right? 
but this is associated with a lot of human experiences that you put into it, right? So there must be an ideal pillow out there somewhere, right? In this world. Uh, think of it this way. You go to this movie theater and watch Christian Bale beat the crap out of Bane in, in The Dark Knight Rises, right? Your experience at that moment tells you that this person you see in front of you on the screen is, well, Batman. When in the other world, outside the theater, outside your experience, they are just actors. Christian Bale and Tom Hardy. Now think of everything you see in the world as, as the form of experience that you associate things with, right? Now, after Immanuel Kant, philosophers have been battling with this proposition of trying to see things without human, human, emotion, human emotions, right? This also includes uh, scientists who, who can see that uh, the, the annoying neighbor kid's football that you saw uh, is, is nothing but just a bunch of atoms flowing, flowing, in, flowing around in empty space, right? Because uh, a while ago you saw the football, now under a microscope you see that it's not a football at all, it's just a bunch of atoms, right? However, enter Schopenhauer. Schopenhauer largely agrees that there is this uh, another reality out there somewhere, right? But he, asks us, but he asks us to consider this. Is it safe to assume that this other world where there is no human experience contains a number of things with a capital T? Kant thought that we'll never be able to access this other world, but he still assumes that this other world also contains things. Just like in this world, right? Whereas Schopenhauer thinks that it is a dangerous assumption to make. He thinks that this other world may not have things at all. Instead, what if it's a single entity? You know, kind of a force that we see uh, uh, that exists in this other world instead of things existing. You know, Kant says that there must be a plurality to the world, to the, to the other world, to the real world, right? Because he believes that it still contains things in, 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 in the true form, right? Whereas Schopenhauer thinks that that might not be true, that doesn't necessarily have to be true. This other world may not have things at all. It just it could just be, it could just be a kind of a force, a single kind of a, uh, entity, like like a super soul or something, right? Um, to Schopenhauer, uh, it seems like, you know, largely it seems like this world was was the creation of a devil, right? We should note that Schopenhauer is an is an atheist, an atheist because he refuses to believe that such a world full of suffering and ugliness was created by this god that everyone seems to praise. He thinks that everything is being controlled by something, some kind of force that, that causes us to act irrationally. He talks about the force like this. Human life must be some kind of a mistake. The truth of this will be sufficiently obvious if only we remember that man is a compound of needs and necessities hard to satisfy. And that even when they are satisfied, all he obtains is a state of painlessness where nothing remains to him but abandonment to boredom. This is direct proof that existence has no real value in itself," writes Schopenhauer in, study of, in Studies of Pessimism. To him, and, and just like we saw with Plato, the nature of existence is meaningless and is only governed by the will of life, the willism leben of existence, as, as Schopenhauer coined it. Schopenhauer thinks that this will to life is a supremely unconscious and irrational entity that causes instinctive behaviors in humans. You know, this will to life also creates within us a never-ending hunger masked with the illusion of being chaseable through, the, uh, through irrational acts. Irrational acts like, well, falling in love. Schopenhauer is, is highly critical of thinkers trying to find the reality of, of, of Kant's other world of things, right? 
Schopenhauer believes that this is not correct. This is not a correct approach because of, because of two primary things. Number one, we can't look at this current present world of, of human perceptions as an outsider because we are very much a part of it. You know, we talk about all these things, uh, all these things that exist in this world, right? But we are also part of that collection of things that exist in this world, right? So, so since we, so number two is since we're a part of this world, there must be another truth to our existence, just like we saw with things, you know. Uh, just like previously, I said, uh, this pillow is not actually a pillow; it's it's the human experience of of a pillow, right? So this body that I'm uh, that I'm apparently in, this consciousness that I apparently have is also a human experience of what I am like a person. So there must be a true form of Avinash Mishra out there somewhere in this other world, right? To Schopenhauer, everything we do is, is, is the manifestation of this will to life. You know, and since we are part of this world of human experience, everything must be driven by this force of will, will to life, right? It makes us desire stuff, and even more when, when the pre previous desires seem to be fulfilled. This is tragic, thinks Schopenhauer. We do not realize that this will to life breathes down our neck, choking away any form of happiness. What makes the will to life dangerous, thought Schopenhauer, was the fact that it gives humans the illusion of happiness. You know, you get the latest iPhone 12 you could, uh, that you truly desired. But what after? Can you now spend all your life looking at it and being happy? Could that happen? More than mere things, what concerns Schopenhauer the most and, and what he considered the epitome of danger was love. To Schopenhauer, the will to life was, its, was at its strongest when it came to love. Remember in the last episode we talked about how Plato, Plato said, that, uh, said that human beings seek immortality in, in three different forms, one of them being the propagation of children. Similarly, Schopenhauer thinks that this will to life wants us to have children, which is why we tend to be attracted to people that make it possible to have children, to, to propagate the, the, the concept of the will of life, will to life. Schopenhauer thought that this was a tragic occurrence and that it made people, people's intellect seem like, like a three-year-old uh, three baby crying for, for a ball of cotton candy. And I say cotton candy here because, because of the facade it creates of, of, of being huge just to melt in your mouth and, and give your taste buds a momentary, a momentary illusion of sweetness. Um, Schopenhauer believed that this will to life makes us seek happiness through an illusion, all the while trying to propagate itself by creating offspring. This brings us to a point that I made at the beginning of this episode. Schopenhauer believed that most people do not fall in love because, you know, they found the one with the capital O. It is merely a manifestation of, of the will to life that forces us to fall in love so that we can have children or engage in sex, which, which as present is fairly being made more easier and accessible by science. Even the most sex that happens today doesn't result in children. The idea remains the same. For this, uh, for this Schopenhauer writes, directly after copulation, the devil's laughter is heard. That is, right after sex, the will to life wins and you lose. According to Schopenhauer, right after you have fulfilled the wish of, will, uh, of this will to life, you succumb to boredom, which explains why we have so many unhappy relationships and especially marriages. Schopenhauer believes, uh, believed that this will to life makes us fall in love with individual, individuals that complement us with qualities that we seek, that we do not have. 
For instance, according to him, short people fall for tall people, people with pointed nose fall for people with flat noses and, and stuff like that, all in order to, to produce balanced offspring, right? Now, as, as soon as this is accomplished, the will to life wants you to move on. But morality keeps you bonded uh, to your responsibilities and, 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 and everything that's leading to unhappiness. Thus making you sad, basically. Furthermore, Schopenhauer talks, uh, talks, about how, uh, talks about boredom like this. He says, Boredom is certainly not an evil to be taken lightly. It will ultimately etch lines of true despair onto the face. It'll, it makes beings with as little love for each other as humans nonetheless seek each other with such intensity and in this way becomes a source of sociability. Now, this is why Schopenhauer asks us to imagine whether the person we fell in love with is actually lovable according to us. Would we still fall for this person if we were thinking rationally before falling in love? Schopenhauer thinks that most people end up marrying people that they wouldn't even have been friends with normally. To this you may say, well, Mr. Schopenhauer, you see, I don't like children and I hate, uh, think, to, 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 I hate to think of having my own. I couldn't be happy around children. It is dreadful, but I'm still in love. To this he would say, the will to life is so strong that it has clouded your intellect and it forces you to engage in acts that assist uh, it to reach its goal, right? Even though you, uh, you do not watch children, you're still going to have sex. Schopenhauer was a deeply empathetic thinker. He, like the Buddha, wanted to show humankind a way to live without suffering. Right? Thus he went on to dissect several concepts and, and find a way to exist uh, that, would, that, would, that would cause the least amount of pain, I guess, not happiness. Because happiness, he thought, was uh, merely a byproduct of pe people seeking to avoid pain. Right? Whereas pain, on the other hand, was a direct result of people seeking happiness. With that, let us bring an end to this very confusing episode. I wasn't even sure if I should do Schopenhauer because there are more uh, layers to what I've spoken about today and understanding Kant is really necessary. So is understanding a little bit Buddhism. Uh, if this episode didn't answer all of your questions, I apologize for that. I will try to format my episodes better in the days to come. Most probably we'll be talking about Buddhism, I guess. And, and, and later on, we'll combine the teachings of Buddha and Schopenhauer's strategies, strategies uh, in, order, uh, in order to see how we can achieve happiness. Right? Anyway, thank you so much for listening. Make sure you share this broadcast with your friends. I apologize for the delay once again. Between work and life, time just passed. Uh, your support would mean I could do this full time. So please share if you like what you've heard. If you have any comments, suggestions, hit me up at B-A-B-A-U-B-E-R-M-E-N-S-C-H on Twitter. I will also leave my email in the description for further communication. For now, thank you once again and have a wonderful week ahead. Till next time.